Hey, it's Chris. Thanks for listening. Another Earnings Palooza show this week. So many big companies reporting. We're going to get to that in just a second. It's brought to you by Cabbage. Get the money you need to run your small business at cabbage.com and use the code FOOL to get $100 in credit on your first loan statement. The offer ends November 30th. You must take a $5,000 loan to qualify. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody needs money. That's why they call it money. The best thing in life are free. But you can give them to the birds and bees. From Fool Global Headquarters, this is Motley Fool Money. It's the Motley Fool Money Radio Show. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio this week, senior analyst Jason Moser, Andy Cross, and Ron Gross. Good to see you as always, gentlemen. Hey, Chris. Hey. How are you doing? We've got the latest earnings from Wall Street. Once again, it is Earnings Palooza. And as always, we'll give you an inside look at the stocks on our radar. But on Friday, Apple reclaimed its crown as the biggest company in the public markets, so we will start there. Shares of Apple hit a new all-time high in the wake of its most recent earnings report. iPhone revenue in the fourth quarter came in higher than expected, Andy, but services segment continues to do well. Chris, it's all about the services with Apple, at least on the growth side, because as you mentioned, you know the iPhone business... It, as we've talked about, pretty um, stagnant now. They continue to make really good iPhones, and, and the iPhone 11 is, is seeing good reception. But revenue up 2%, a little higher than, higher than guidance. If you back out the iPhone, growth is up 17%. But really about the wearables. The wearables business continues to drive a lot of the growth. On the services side, which includes the wearables, up 18% on the sales now, makes up 20% of sales, up 33% of the growth profits. They now have 33,000 apps across all their platforms. It was the best quarter ever for Apple Care. 450 million now paid subscribers across all of those platforms, up three, from 330 million a year ago. That's up 36%. So when you look at the growth of Apple, they continue to add and innovate into the wearable side as they continue to build out that ecosystem that is really tied to the iPhone, uh, and they continue to drive that part of the profit picture. You know, the net income was basically flat to down, but when you add in all the share buybacks, they boosted the EPS by 4%. Um, so, a really nice quarter and about what I think investors were expected, but the innovation that they're showing on the wearable side continues to, to drive the growth. Yeah, I really like how Tim Cook is managing this company beyond the iPhone. I think there were a lot of questions uh, just a few years ago. I think he's answering those questions. And, you know, we've always talked about Apple being a premier, uh, a premium hardware provider, right? They had some pricing power on that hardware. We're hitting sort of a saturation point there. The ASPs on iPhones starting to come down a little bit. But the neat thing with this business, and I think they can pull this off, it's going to take a little time, but with the services that they're offering, whether it's Apple Care, Cloud, or music, or streaming, there's the opportunity for some pricing power there. I mean, I know we talk a lot about those low prices on the video streaming product, but if they put out good services, good products, uh, I think that over time, they actually would have the opportunity to raise prices on those services, uh, whether it's the music product or or the, the video product, or whatever it is. So, th this could be kind of a second act for them where they could demonstrate some pricing power that maybe some investors aren't really expecting. Since 2012, $288 billion in share repurchases. You add in dividends, and it's $385 billion of capital returned to shareholders. It's an amazing, amazing number. Um, 
turning to Apple TV for a second. Am I right that you get Apple TV for free for a year if you if you buy a phone or upgrade? Yeah, if you buy one of the qualifying Apple devices starting September 10th, you get 12 months free of Apple TV Plus. And yeah, I've heard phone. the shows are terrible. Well, I mean, well, listen, I that's, that's going to be still early that, that's that evolves, right? I mean, I wish you one would hope. <laughs> that new they have all the resources in the world to throw at this. I mean, it's just going to be a matter of locating uh, some good ideas and then just uh, paying the, the money that, that they need to get those things produced. So I think that takes. So some Jennifer time. Aniston yeah, and point, Steve Carell is just not getting it done. Uh, wasn't getting it done for me. I couldn't care less <laughs> about that show. But to your point about the devices, it's iPhone, iPad, Apple TV, and Mac. And if you go just a couple of years back. That's something, and that's like in the neighborhood of 80 million devices they sold for the holiday yeah. quarter there. So they're going to have tens of millions of instant subscribers here. And it's really about that first year yeah. communicating some kind of value and getting you to grab onto just one piece of content that you like. I was going to say the wearables business overall was up more than 50%. And now at $6.5 billion this quarter, it's about as big as the Mac category for Apple. Well, and to go back to the video streaming service for just a second, you look at all the streaming services, Apple has, I think, very intentionally priced theirs lower than absolutely anyone else's. So you're right, Ron. The early reviews on the first shows right out of the gate are not promising. But, you know, Amazon Prime had some stumbles out of the gate. So did Netflix. Not every show they produced right out of the gate was a hit. And when you've got the lowest priced option, I think that buys you a little bit of permission I, I with think customers. You have to price it low until the content ramps, yeah. right? What is it, four shows or four or six? I forget yeah, which. Handful, I think. So you're not going to pay a premium, certainly, for that. I, I, I bet we'll see price hikes as that ramps. Alphabet's third quarter report on Monday evening got overshadowed by reports the company had made an official bid to buy Fitbit. By Friday morning, the deal was done. They're paying $2.1 billion for Fitbit. Uh, Jason, the third quarter was kind of a small miss. Uh, shares of Alphabet down a little bit. This seemed like one of those speed bump quarters that Alphabet puts up every now and then. Yeah, I mean, they had some good wins in cloud. It's it's hard to overstate really how strong YouTube is becoming uh, for the business. So I, I think you're right. I mean, it's basically steady as she goes for the core business. But the, the Fitbit news is really the big news of the quarter. And I mean, this, I think, is the best case scenario for Fitbit shareholders. I'm not 100% sold on how meaningful this can be to Alphabet, but I mean, it's a $2 billion acquisition. It's a rounding error in the context of their balance sheet, uh, in, in considering the fact that they essentially have just unlimited access to capital. Now, I do get why they made this acquisition. And let's not forget, for the first six months of this year, Fitbit sold six and a half million devices. That's versus 4.8 million devices a year ago. So it's not like this is an insignificant business. It's just they've not done a very good job of monetizing beyond that device base. Google's got a lot of power in, in regard to that. I mean, if you're looking to build a subscription business, Google's got some skills in that regard and, and the infrastructure to, to take care of it. So I think that. Given given time, they could probably build something out with this, and I, I do think there is a market for a dedicated fitness device. I mean, the Apple Watch is a nice device, but it does an awful lot, and I think there are a lot of people out there looking for something maybe a little bit, maybe a step down. Certainly not nearly as expensive, um, and I think that's where this device fits in. Now, I think it's up to Google or Alphabet to really build a uh, an accompanying subscription business to go with it, add value. I think that's a great point, Jason, on the subscription business add value. I think when Ruth Porat came in and started to really slim and focus Alphabet into what is the most highest priority, and clearly, you know, it's a two point one billion dollar acquisition. They, I think they they earn more north of thirty billion every year. They have plenty of cash in the balance sheet, so it really is 
just a surrounding error, but what they can do with it. And clearly, Ruth has said, signed off on this and said, hey, there's some optionality here. We can actually take this hardware business and turn it really into a powerful subscription business that ties nicely into the Google ecosystem. I guess we now have to put Fitbit in that category of companies that just couldn't cut it in the public markets, because it's worth remembering, this was a company that went public at $20 mm. a share, and the buyout price, which represents, to your point, Jason, a nice premium sort of late in the year for Fitbit, about $7.40 a share. Mm. Most hardware businesses are kind of a race to the bottom, and that's why it's so important to be able to go beyond that. Apple was always that exception because they could command that pricing premium on the hardware. We're seeing that disappear, but we're seeing them really pick it up on the services mm -hmm. side, and that's why it's so important. And I know a lot of times shareholders don't like when their companies get acquired out from under them because they want to grow with the company. I think in this particular case, <laughs> this is a gift to Fitbit shareholders. Starbucks closed out the fiscal year with strong sales growth in both the U.S. and China. Uh, Ron, the stock really didn't move much this yeah, week. Yeah, but you know, I think a solid quarter on China expansion, loyalty program growth, growth in cold drinks. Uh, China has 10 million active members now in loyalty. U.S. membership in that program was up 15 percent. You had global net store growth of 7 percent. Um, 600 stores in China opened in the quarter, now past the 4,000 store mark there. So, really um, explosive growth continuing. Cold drinks, which I didn't realize really was, was a, a thing here, whether it's iced tea or their refreshers fruit drink or nitro cold, um, really showing some strength here, leading to EPS of a 20% increase, which is not too shabby. It's just it's, investors kind of shrugged it off of, you know, it's just a fine quarter kind of a thing. Well, and you think about the IPO of Luckin Coffee, uh, and there, you had analysts on Wall Street who were saying, boy, this is really going to be bad for Starbucks. And the early results so far indicate the opposite. Starbucks is is remaining very competitive there. They plan to open 2,000 new stores in 2020, 1,400 of them being internationally, and the bulk of that will likely be in China. So, Luckin certainly a, a competitor here, but but Starbucks holding their own. Record revenue for Facebook in the third quarter. Profits came in higher than expected, and shares of the social network up again this week, Andy. There are many $550 billion companies that have been able to grow nearly 30% a year. And you think about the growth rate, it was 29% on the revenue side this quarter. That was versus 28% last quarter, 26% the quarter before that. So, not only high revenue growth for that size, but some acceleration. Um, led some nice growth on the, on, the earn, on the earnings per share side. Facebook daily active users up to 9% versus 8% last quarter. There are now $2.2 billion Facebook, Instagram, WhatsApp, or Messenger users at least once per day. That's up from 2.1 billion. So, continued growth into both the platform as they are kind of like expanding their reach, being come being more meaningful, but then it also clearly showing up on the on the business side. Ad impressions were up 37%. Revenue per ad was down a little bit, so that's kind of interesting to watch and a little bit of boost from the payments and other. A lot of conversation on the conference call about the political ad situation that Facebook is now found itself obviously in, and some a little bit of Mark Zuckerberg's testimony, and that juxtaposes with what we heard from Jack Dorsey over at Twitter, with them uh, refusing or removing any kind of political advertisement on onto uh, accepting money for political advertisements onto the Twitter platform. So, uh, a really nice quarter overall from the business, but clearly. Obviously, a lot of them exogenous and big picture uh, issues to watch with Facebook. Yeah, interesting bit of gamesmanship by Jack Dorsey at Twitter because it was just a few hours before Facebook came out with their quarterly report. 
that he announced as of, I believe, November 22nd of this year, Twitter will no longer accept money for political ads. And it, I think, Jason, it represents somewhere in the neighborhood of 2% or so of Maybe. revenue, ad revenue for Twitter right yeah. now. So that seems like, uh, from a monetary standpoint, it was a relatively easy decision for Dorsey to make. Uh, on the call, you mentioned, you touched on this, uh, Andy. Zuckerberg said that in 2020, Facebook expects that the revenue they get from political ads will be less than one mm-hmm. half of one percent, which makes me wonder why are they doing this for so little money? It, it really seems like it's not worth the headache. It does feel like the juice isn't worth the squeeze here, and I guess the only way I can really come to grips with this, to me, Zuckerberg right now is kind of like SoftBank with WeWork. He just can't quite admit that he made a mistake here, and I think he will ultimately change his mind. Because the upside to me is exponential versus all of the work. I mean, it actually costs them more to accept money for these ads and then deal with the aftermath. Uh, whereas if you pull back and just you know eliminate yourself from the equation, there it's not that politicians can't get their message out there. It's just the way Jack Dorsey put it. I think this is really well said. It should be earned and not bought. And I think that's the that's that's the bottom line, really. But Twitter's not going to censor tweets, so you can go out there and basically create your own ad as much as you want, Precisely. whether you're a prominent person yeah. or a super PAC or whoever you want, just doing it by tweet, yeah, not just, paying for the advertisement you can't at all. Pay, you can't pay for the reach. And I think that's the ultimate point, is that they don't want to be subject to people putting contentious or potentially false messages out there, and then getting that reach by paying for it. Again, it goes back to earned and not bought. And I think most people uh, would think that makes sense. It was a really cheeky timing by Jack Dorsey, uh, head of uh, Facebook's earning call today, or or this week. Twitter. Uh, Twitter, yeah, uh, this week. So I think what was really interesting is, for me, it's like Mark Zuckerberg is going to the mats for this. He's talked about this to his team. He believes in free speech. He's trying to protect it. My take on this is I just think there's... If they want to continue to accept money to, to for these political ads, um, he has talked about how much they want to police them, monitor them. I think they should just take some of the resources they are putting into the business and focus on making this a better experience for those politicians and, the cons- most importantly, the readers and the consumers of the content to be able to make that whole process far better and also to be able to support that initiative. Just curious, has anyone at the table ever even looked at a political ad on Facebook? Not intentionally. I, think, I, I don't know they if they I have or not. Fly right by me. Do, yeah. Doesn't mean a thing. Much more earnings to come, so stay right here. You're listening to Motley Fool Money. Welcome back to Motley Fool Money. Chris Hill here in studio with Jason Moser, Andy Cross, and Ron Gross. Teladoc Health reported a loss in the third quarter, but it was a smaller loss than Wall Street was expecting. Overall sales came in higher, and shares of Teladoc moving higher as a result. Ron, you follow this company closely. Uh, oh no, <laughs> wait, 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 Jason wait. Moser, Jason, your thoughts on Teladoc? Sure. Well, I mean, I, I like what I'm seeing. I mean, to your point about the top line growth, they they uh, hit their top line guidance. They raised full year guidance a little bit. Uh, I mean, management clearly understands the need to develop this massive network with a comprehensive offering, and, and to this point, it's it's the far and away leader in the space. Uh, looking at the numbers, revenue twenty four percent growth of one hundred thirty eight million. Uh, visits nine hundred twenty eight thousand were up forty five percent, and utilization remains strong. The the 
the membership base is what's really impressive here. With U.S. paid members now at $35 million and visit fee only at $19 million. Those are the biggest increases in the company's history. And most of that is because they have brought United Health Group network into their network. And so you're seeing Teladoc partnering up with this virtual visits entity, which is a service provided by United Health. And it reminds me of. PayPal on the payment space, right? It's not like they're trying to completely shake things up, but they're partnering with the big players in the space to make it a better space. And ultimately, it seems to be working out. Uh, the expectations uh, to be operating cash flow positive for the full year are intact, and, and in fact, they're already there on a trailing 12-month basis. And uh, in regard to revenue growth, management is targeting 20 to 30 percent annualized growth uh, for the next three to five years at least. So they are making all of the right moves here. I think it's going to be difficult. Uh, for other competitors to catch them. Ultimately, I, I feel like maybe Teladoc ends up getting acquired, though I hope it doesn't. Wasn't United Health working on their own version of a competitor in this space to Teladoc? They've been working on their own. They've been working with partnering with other providers, and ultimately they're bringing other providers into the network because, number one, United is a tremendous network, and you do have other companies in the space that are working in, in telemedicine. It's just that's the benefit to being a business that focuses on doing one thing, right? And that's that's where Teladoc, that's how it began, that's how it's grown, and, and I think that's why it's succeeding so well today. It's because it's it's grown this big network, but but more so, it's got a very comprehensive offering uh, that is very difficult to match. It's a $5 billion company, United Health, $240 billion. It, it, it sort of seems like one of those situations, if the partnership goes well, United Health's going to make them an offer. It wouldn't surprise me, though you can understand my selfishness in wanting to see Teladoc <laughs> oh, continue to go it alone, given the market opportunity that exists. Texas Roadhouse served up a strong third quarter report. Profits and revenue came in higher than expected, and shares of Texas Roadhouse up 16% this week, Ron. Great to see, because it is a total income recommendation, and the stock is still down slightly on the year. So they they needed to to put in some some good numbers, and they certainly did. Comp sales uh, at company restaurants up four point four percent. Domestic franchise restaurants comps were at three point two percent. Those are pretty strong numbers. They had some nice increase in margins as a result of higher average checks, but they also had some li- higher labor costs, as we're seeing really across the board. But still, diluted earnings per share were up twenty nine percent as a result. That's a very very strong number. Um, company continuing to grow. Uh, four company restaurants, including one Bubba 33, uh, were opened. Two international franchise restaurants were open. They repurchased $19 billion of stock, um, and they plan on opening 30 uh, new restaurants in 2020. So the growth story continues. I like the margin expansion, and the earnings followed suit. Bubba's 33 is their sports bar concept. The comps in the quarter were roughly double what they were doing at Texas Roadhouse locations. Any chance they're going to ramp that up in terms of more Bubba's 33? They're definitely going to ramp up the growth, but it will never overtake um, the, the number of actual Texas Roadhouse restaurants, but we'll definitely see growth. All right, guys. Hang in there, because Earnings Palooza continues to roll on. Stay right here. You're listening to Motley Fool Money. There goes that brand new Pontiac. There goes the shirt right off my back. Before we get back to the headlines, let's talk about you and the business that you run. Because managing inventory, covering payroll, and doing a hundred other things before lunch. That's just the average day when you own a small business. Your time's valuable, and getting the money you need should not take up all of your time. That's why Cabbage created a simple, modern way for businesses to access up to $250,000 of credit. You can apply online, 
It takes just minutes to complete and get a decision. And if your business qualifies, you can access the money you need right away and withdraw more funds whenever you need extra capital. Cabbage has an a rating with the Better Business Bureau, and it's provided over 200,000 small businesses with access to funding. Starting a small business can be challenging. I've never tried it, because I'm not interested in that challenge. I have friends who have done it. Bill Mann's done it. David and Tom Gardner started this small business. Having access to funds is an important key in starting a small business, and it's something that a lot of people struggle with when they're starting out. So, get the money that you need to run your small business today. Go to cabbage.com, use the code FOOL to get $100 credit on your first loan statement. That's K A B B A G E.com. Offer ends November 30th, 2019. Must take a minimum $5,000 loan to qualify. Credit lines subject to review and change. Individual requests for capital are separate installment loans issued by Celtic Bank, member FDIC. Welcome back to Motley Fool Money. Chris Hill here in studio with Jason Moser, Andy Cross, and Ron Gross as earnings palooza rolls on. Disastrous week for Grubhub. Third quarter sales were weak, guidance for the fourth quarter was terrible, and shares of Grubhub <laughs> fell 45%. Andy, it's at a three year low. Yeah, really tough quarter. Um, average daily grubs grew 10%. That's much, that's basically the orders that they have. That's just much lower than what the expected numbers uh, from both the company and also from analysts. Total costs and expenses for the quarter up 41% and up 50% for the first nine months of this year, and revenues up versus revenues up 30%. So the real story here is just the concern about the marketplace and the competitive pressures that Grubhub is facing. They said that the uh, Pressures from some of the other players like DoorDash or Uber Eats, maybe Postmates. Um, the pressure that they are putting onto the entire space uh, lowered some of the diner growth rates by um, up, up to 300 basis points or 30% of the growth rate. So, when you look at the environment and the cost that that Grubhub has to continue to put into the business to both expand their networks, add more diners. It just is really starting to add up, and we're not seeing it yet. And we've seen this deceleration in the number of diners and restaurants that they're going to be able to add on to their platform. I've said this before, and I'll say it again. Winning cures everything. And if you're doing great, and your business is doing great, and your stock's going up, you can come up with all the cute names like average daily grubs you want. When your stock <laughs> drops 45% yeah. in a week, nobody Stop wants to hear cute. that. And the CEO, uh, whether he meant to be joking or not, talking about uh, how uh, online diners are becoming more promiscuous, it's like, don't go for humor. Your stock's down 45%. Yeah, and the impressive side is Matt Maloney, the CEO and founder, he actually put out a, a 10 page letter for the first time to shareholders trying to explain the market. Now, whether it, it, it is uh, going to turn the stock in the right direction or not is, remains to be seen, but clearly the market itself is seeing some real pressures. Wayfair shares down 30% this week. The online home furnishing company's third quarter report came with weak guidance for the fourth quarter. You tell me, Jason, how bad is it? Uh, well, it wasn't as bad as Grubhub, so I wouldn't say disastrous, but Chris, it's not good. It's not good at all. Um, I mean, it's a really difficult time right now if you are a top line story, and, and that you know the market is really focused on businesses making some money actually, and Wayfair is not there yet. Now, with that said, uh, they are doing some good things, but if you go to 
the guidance and really the call said it all. They said that since the beginning of the year, more than 90% of their suppliers um, who are subject to China tariffs have, have raised wholesale prices. That's resulting in higher retail prices, and that's affecting consumer behavior. It's it's, it's resulting in volatility and some more some some hemming and hawing, so to speak, not not uh, really committing on buying. That's a problem for Wayfair in, in the near term, of course. But I, I, there is light at the end of the tunnel. When you look at the core metrics of the business, they're still quite sound. I mean, gross margin ticked up 40 basis points from a year ago. Active customers up 37%. Orders delivered up 32%. Percentage of orders from repeat customers. Remember, that's a really important metric. Uh, it's 67.3% now, up from 66.3% a year ago. So they're investing a lot of money right now in fulfillment and logistics. There are some questions regarding. China tariffs, and that's that's not just a Wayfair problem. I understand the market's trepidation today. I don't think it takes away from the long-term opportunity that they have. I think they're doing the right things. It's just it's going to require some patience. I saw one analyst note uh, that said that the lack of urgency with respect to profitability was perplexing. Is that fair to Wayfair's management? I think so. It's a question I start to ask myself every quarter now, and and I'll look back to another company where I felt this way. It was Zillow. Uh, it seemed like quarter in and quarter out, there was just this lack of urgency for them to to get profitable. Um, I am starting to feel a little bit that way about about Wayfair, and um, I'd love to see a little bit more um, information on that from management. Shares of Mattel up more than 15% this week after better than expected results in the third quarter. Thanks, Ron, to, of course, Barbie. It's always Barbie. Barbie's <laughs> always getting it done for Mattel. You know, it's actually interesting. Most of the strong sales were international, especially in Asia, lifted by sales of dolls based on Korean boy band BTS. And I must admit, I've never heard of BTS, but you're not the target demo. <laughs> oh, good, good point. Um, but you know what? Call me nostalgic, but it was nice to see Barbie up 10 percent and Hot Wheels up 25 percent. That that kids are still playing with toys. Um, that kind of that, that kind of sounded nice to me. Uh, there was some weakness. Their infant, toddler, and preschool division. Uh, were weak, and that that offset some of the strength. So revenues were only up 3.1 percent, but it was still significantly better than expected. You got some widening margins due to cost cutting, which led to an adjusted earnings per share increase of 44 percent, which is which is a really strong number for a company that has kind of had a, t- a tough road of late. Um, relatively new CEO has done a pretty good job of stabilizing that core doll business, and then also kind of moving into entertainment uh, with feature-length films and shows and amusement parks. A lot of what has Hasbro is doing as well. Interestingly, they saw no impact from tariffs, whereas Hasbro spent a significant amount of time focusing on the impacts that tariffs had on their business for the quarter. So that that's kind of an interesting difference. The story with Mattel is one that we've seen play out with different companies in different industries. And by that I mean you've got several divisions, one of them continues to deliver quarter after quarter, and maybe another doesn't get it done quarter after quarter. Yum Brands, certainly with Pizza Hut, that's been the story for literally years now. When you see a business like that, does part of you want to have you know the activist investor part of your history kick in and really urge them to either double down on what's working or just cut their losses with another division? Absolutely. If if you see a division consistently. Um, 
having declining revenue or not being profitable. Something has to change. And sometimes the easiest thing to do is just shut it down. I, I do just want to mention, I'd be remiss if I didn't, um, the company also resolved a whistleblower complaint um, regarding their accounting. They're going to have to restate some 2017 accounting quarters, but there's actually no material impact at all. But the CFO, who is also relatively new, is leaving the company. Arista Networks took a page out of Wayfair's playbook. Third quarter results came with fourth quarter guidance that was well below expectations, and shares of Arista down big, Andy. Yeah, a tough day. Many of our members and listeners own Arista, I'm sure, uh, and it's a popular stock here in the Motley Fool. So, not to bury the lead, the real story here is Arista, which provides cloud networking for like data centers, software and hardware for data centers. Big clients, including Facebook and, and uh, Microsoft, are cloud titans. Well, one of these cloud titans uh, looks like it is now changing its spending habits for the fourth quarter and, importantly, into 2020. And these are these are large, meaningful, north of 10% revenue for Arista. So that really has gotten some investors spooked when you look at the profits those companies bring in. Arista is very profitable and it's been able to grow very handsomely over the last five years. But now they really are expecting a drop in the fourth quarter in revenues. And for a company that that has steadily put up very handsome north of 25% growth rates, that's kind of shut. Uh, sent a, a, a shock through the system, and investors are selling the stock off this week. Etsy's third quarter results didn't look that bad, Jason, but shares of the online retailer fell more than 20% this week. Was it was it that bad? No. <laughs> so, <laughs> so investors got it wrong? This is like your wife making you sleep on the couch for making tater tots instead of mashed potatoes. I mean, it's a total overreaction. Does <laughs> that ever happen? Apparently it never it happened has. to me, but I could just imagine... I mean, I, I feel like with Etsy. I'm sorry, that was an oddly specific example. So forgive me if I don't believe that hasn't happened. I'm not going to go any further on that. Let's talk about Etsy. Let's move on. <laughs> um, I mean, in, in you know, we talked about Wayfair and the top line story being such a difficult one. With, with Etsy, I mean, there are fundamentals at play here. I mean, this is a company that makes money in, in cash and all that good stuff. Uh, gross merchandise sales were up 30 percent. Revenue up 31 and a half percent. Sellers up 27 percent. Buyers 21 percent. They're growing mobile share. I think the only thing in the call that really stood out to me, and maybe the market's parsing a little bit of that reverb data in in regard to the revised guidance, maybe they were expecting a little bit more from the core Etsy business itself. Uh, maybe part of it has to do with the take rate, that the 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 revenue that that Etsy is making on the total gross merchandise sales. That blended rate's going to come down a little bit with that reverb acquisition, but that's also opportunity. So for me, this really was a short-sighted reaction. It's nice to see the market is is giving it a little bit of credit today. It's coming back a little bit, uh, but but yeah, this to me stood out as a as a big overreaction in virtually every way. You know, active sellers up almost twenty seven seven percent, active buyers up 21%. They pulled in the profit margin guidance for the quarter, and that seemed to, to Jason's point about maybe not taking as much on the profit side, and that seemed to really send um, some fear into the investing marketplace. But Chris, as you and I talked about this week, that really saw, made me think more of a buying opportunity. I'm already doing some Christmas shopping on Reverb. But that is a fun site to, to look around on if you have any uh, musical inclinations. Well, you look at shares of Etsy, they're roughly where they were a year ago. And to your point, Jason, we're going into the holiday quarter, it seems like if this is a stock you've had on your watch list for a while, 
this might be the time to pull the trigger because if they come up with a halfway decent holiday quarter, you got to believe shares are going to pop. Uh, they, they very well may. I mean, I do agree with your point on, on the buying opportunity. I, I said as much this week. I mean, to me, this is a very well run business with very strong leadership in Josh Silverman. I, I just expect big things. I, I own shares personally and have no intentions of, of cutting them loose anytime soon. Coming up, a reminder that when your business has a winning strategy, the best thing to do is stick with it. Stay right here. You're listening to Motley Fool Money. When you're not walking and money's talking, just stop and listen to what it's saying. Loan me a dollar to be a scholar. Drop all your money and don't you holler. Show me the money. Don't be talking no trash. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. Welcome back to Motley Fool Money. Chris Hill here in studio once again with Jason Moser, Andy Cross, and Ron Gross. Third quarter profits for Avis budget fell 11%. Shares were down for the week. Uh, Ron, the stock is a few bucks away from a five year low. It's really tough for them in, in this Uber Lyft world we live in. It's just it's just a struggling business that is getting disintermediated and disrupted, and they're doing their best to try to mitigate that by creating partnerships with these folks, whether it's Uber Lyft, uh, where their cars are available to drivers of those services. I'm not sure that's going to get this done, to be quite honest. You see it in the numbers. Revenues were basically flat, up up a meager one percent. Um, they did have some per unit fleet costs that improved to to the tune of about six percent. But as you noted, profits down eleven percent. The company tried to to mitigate some of the damage. They purchased two point one million shares for a total of fifty nine million dollars um, during the quarter at a price pretty much right where the stock is right now. I don't know if that's going to be a good use of capital, quite honestly. I, I, so it's just kind of a meh. I heard the term "car as a service" this week oh, from an analyst no. based on like the software as a service. I just kind of rolled my well, eyes. Well, Green Dot brought in uh, banking as a service yeah. as well, so it's bass and are, gas. Are, are we perhaps podcasts as a service? Possibly. Oh, These guys got a lot of debt too. Three point five billion dollars of debt. So don't sleep on that too. That could get a little dangerous. So you know how we look at different industries and we say there's going to be more than one winner in this industry. It's not a zero sum game. Is this one of those situations where the opposite is true? There's not going to be any winners. I mean, Hertz Global, that stock has been down over the last few years. You look at Avis Budget. Is this just now officially a bad business to be in? Yes. The answer is yes. You got to look at the multiples, and that'll just tell you everything you need to know. Six times forward earnings for Avis, nine times forward earnings for Hertz. It's just, it's tough. Their next report will incorporate holiday travel. So hopefully that's going to pay off for. Avis budget. Yeah, we'll and speaking of the holidays, <laughs> Dine Brands Global is the parent company of IHOP and Applebee's. Over the past two years, shares of Dine Brands Global are up nearly 60%, thanks in no small part to the creative drink specials that Applebee's has rolled out. And this month, oh, just in time, it's the $1 vodka cranberry lemonade mm. served in a 10-ounce mug. <laughs> Applebee's said in a press release, and I'm quoting here, this will help you get in the Thanksgiving spirit. Because sometimes Uh-oh. you just need some inexpensive alcohol to deal <laughs> that could do some damage. with your extended family. You know, we joke, and we've joked in the past when they had the, uh, I think it was the $1 Long Island iced teas that they rolled out right before Christmas. But this is actually moving the needle. This is actually 
one of those things that we kind of poke fun at that is legitimately good business and is materially driving this stock higher. Yeah, you come for the cheap booze and you stay for the chicken fingers. You that can't works. You can't underestimate the power of alcohol. I mean, in any form. It's just that the American consumer <laughs> is a total sucker for I bet it. you they still make money on a dollar. You know, based on the amount That's of cheap alcohol, alcohol, the cheap that alcohol. Is, yeah, that is I, cheap I don't know that for alcohol. sure, but yeah. I bet there's a, a couple pennies yeah. of margin in there. Well, we were talking during the break uh, after we discussed Texas Roadhouse and talking about, well, maybe we need to do a road trip to get to a Bubba's 33. There's one yeah. not too far from here. Maybe we need to do a little uh, boots on the ground research at an Applebee's and see what this vodka cranberry lemonade is all about. It's it's tasty food. They got that. It's basically Kraft mac and cheese. The chicken yeah. fingers, as I just noted, are pretty good. You can order delivery with a partnership with Grubhub. <laughs> <laughs> and Grubhub shareholders would love it if you would do that <laughs> over and over. Don't know if you can buy the drinks. Uh, real quick, if you're looking for even more stock ideas and recommendations, check out our flagship service, Stock Advisor. You get stock recommendations from Tom and David Gardner. You get their best buys now and a lot more. Just go to radarstocks.fool.com. That's radarstocks.fool.com. 50% discount for the dozens of listeners. So check that out when you get a chance. Let's get to the stocks on our radar. And our man behind the glass, Steve Roy, is going to hit you with a question. Ron Gross, you're up first. What are you looking at this week? I got CME Group, ticker CME. Operates the world's largest future and options exchange, most powerful player in the space, great position to innovate or acquire, a great toll booth model where they process a trade and they charge for transactions, clearing, settlement fees um, are collected as well. Uh, as institutions look to manage risk, they turn to derivatives that, that only increases their business. They uh, have increased their regular dividend consecutively for the past nine years. They also pay an annual variable dividend based on profits. When you look at all of that combined, the yield right now is at about 2.3%. Steve, question about CME Group? What's a uh, option strategy that you would recommend I never take or try? <laughs> <laughs> Nothing naked, which means you have to own the underlying stock at the same time. Don't just speculate using options. Oh, really? That's what Good naked advice. refers to? Yes. I thought it was just like some creative term to get people interested in options. <laughs> no. Jason Moser, what are you looking at this week? Uh, yeah, going to go with the what is now the top performing stock in my augmented reality service. Everybody's heard of this one. Say it with me, folks. Lumentum. Right, Lumentum. Ticker is L I T E. Uh, as 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 I led into here, second quarter results were very good for the company. They are a a chip maker ultimately in the VCSEL vertical cavity surface emitting laser, and ultimately that's the technology that's required for three D sensing, uh, which gets us into great places like biometric authentication, augmented and virtual reality, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh, 5G rollout is a is a nice tailwind for this company, and they really do actually own that VCSEL space. So a lot of things to like there. It's it's a good start to the year for them. Steve, question about Lumentum. Uh, where can I see this product in the field today? Not uh, 20 years from now, but today. Where is this today? Check out your your, your local smartphone, whether it's an Android or, a, or an iPhone. You're going to typically find those uh, that that technology being incorporated into all of these new phones. Andy Cross, what are you looking at this week? EPAM Systems, symbol EPAM, $9.6 billion company. It's a digital and software consulting firm, as recommended in a few of our services. Uh, it's founder-led. Arkady Dopkin founded the company back in the early 90s, and uh, it provides digital and technology consulting services for lots of different firms around the around the world. Um, expectations are quite high coming into the uh, next quarter's release next Thursday. Sales have grown 20% uh, for 30 straight quarters. So, if my math is correct, that's 
little over seven years. Uh, the travel and consumer side of the business, to like to like uh, different travel sites and consumer sites, has been growing only about eight percent last quarter. So that's a little bit slower than what we'd like to see versus some of the financials and tech part of their client base, which is more like seventeen or twenty-four percent. So I want to see the travel business kind of show a little bit of a rebound. Steve, question about EPAM systems. Uh, what's driving the growth going forward? All the digitization, all the applications we're using. We look at companies and what they are trying to do, how they are evolving. Everybody is trying to become more digital, and that really has been the big driver for EPAM over the last 10 years. Steve, we've got CME Group, Lumentum, EPAM Systems, none of them household names, <laughs> but three very interesting businesses. You got one you want to add to your watch list? Well, I think Lumentum makes the most sense to me right now, so that's what I'm going with. Hey does, now. <laughs> does it have anything to do with the sales job that Jason did? Because you it really sold it. <laughs> what was he that? Did. He vertical did. cavity? Yeah, that was a mouthful. You had me at vertical. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Yeah, you lost me at cavity. Uh, Jason Moser, Andy Cross, Ron Gross. Guys, thanks for being here. Thank thanks, you, Chris. Chris. Keep the emails coming. Radio at Fool.com is our email address. That's radio at Fool.com. Keep in mind, later this month, we've got our annual Thanksgiving special coming up. And speaking of Thanksgiving, it's possible we're not going to get to Applebee's. So if someone out there among the dozens of listeners wants to do a little boots on the ground research for us, let us know how Applebee's is. Maybe try the new drink special. We'd did, appreciate it. Did you say booze on the ground research? Oh, I like that. Go oh, ahead. Nice. Go ahead and, and <laughs> trademark that. <laughs> we'll make at least a dollar off of it. All right, guys, thanks for being here. Thanks, That's going to do it for this week's edition of Motley Fool Money. Our engineer is Steve Broido. Our producer is Matt Greer. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.